Amen. We continue in our time of prayer as we sing of God who is a restless weaver of all creation. And I invite you to join your voices in this song and then we'll hear a prayer read by Rachel Ewing Merrill and then we'll sing again. I invite you to breathe and to be to be present right where you are and to be in this moment as we sing in prayer to God. great love, divine presence, we rejoice in our Mother Earth, who births us, nurtures us, sustains us, and collects us back into her bosom when our life is done. Let the energy of the sunrise, the mystery of a butterfly, the beauty of spring flowers, the fragility of endangered species, the toxicity of polluted waterways, and the barrenness of scorched earth bring us to our knees. And there, on our knees, May we be humbled to recognize we are but part of an intricate web of creation, a sacred reciprocity of belonging. Break open our hearts to love as you love. Amen.
Good morning, Hope Gateway. I'm glad to have this opportunity to share with you this morning a little bit of some adventures I had a couple of years ago um, in visiting some wild churches. So um, this all started back in the backyard of my childhood home where there was um, a beautiful maple tree. Its foliage formed a perfect ball that turned a brilliant orange in autumn. The lowest branch was at the perfect height to allow access for climbing and not too far up into this ball of fire that you see here was a branch with a crook, which was perfect for sitting and reading or just resting in the rustling leaves. When I nestled in that crook, I was essentially invisible to anyone on the ground and I had a sense of being nurtured and held. That tree for me was truly a safe space in my childhood. Decades later, when I was in the midst of my spiritual direction program um, at the Shalem Institute in Washington, DC, one morning, our leader asked us to draw a childhood image of God. Before I even had time to think, that tree immediately popped into my mind. Now this surprised me on one level because I'd never really consciously thought of that tree as a manifestation of God. On another level, it wasn't surprising at all, since in the years between childhood and that moment in my early middle age years, time and nature had been a primary source of spiritual nurture and growth for me that continues to this day. Nature is a significant piece of God's presence, God's incarnation in my life. In recent years, I've sought ways to connect this personal experience to my work at Boston University School of Theology. As a result of this quest, a few years ago, I learned about a newly formed grouping of churches who are part of what is called the Wild Church Network, churches that meet outdoors. Thanks to a grant from the BTS Center where Alan is now the executive director, I was able to visit seven of these churches in the United States between 2018 and 2019, experience their worship services and other activities, and interview leaders and participants about their experiences. I wanted to learn what, if any difference, worshiping outdoors made on people's spiritual life and their commitments to environmental justice. These visits had a significant impact on my own journey as a follower of Jesus, deepened how I experienced my own relationship to nature and strengthened my commitment to repairing our earth which is a significant thread in my life work now in this third third of my life. One of the things I found striking about the Wild Church Network was that this wasn't started by someone saying, hey, let's start outdoor worship to attract more people to church. Um, instead, um, spiritual leaders from different places around the country, independently of each other, felt called to form a worshiping community that met outside. Several of them spoke of being called by the land as well as by God or hearing God speak through the land. Eventually, these leaders started to find one another, launched the Wild Church Network website and started networking with others who had experienced similar callings. When I first discovered the group in 2017, there were about 12 communities, communities across the United States and Canada listed on their website. Now there are about 40. Some are connected with denominations, some are independent, some have full-time pastors, but many are led by part-time folks doing this alongside pastoring an indoor church or um, with some other type of paid employment. 
Now, um, some aspects of wild church worship would be familiar to us, to those of us who are used to other worship settings. Sacred texts and prayers are shared, songs are often sung, sermons or um, meditations are shared. The wild churches I visited were the first place I had heard intentional acknowledgement of the original human inhabitants of the land on which they worship. One had an ind indigenous elder open their service with a welcome to her in ancestral land and a blessing for that day's gathering. This practice of indigenous acknowledgement is now more prevalent also in indoor churches such as ours, where we in our welcome statement acknowledge that the land where we typically worship was the original home of the Wabanaki people. Like indoor churches, wild churches has some form of altar or worship space, worship center. But those look much different than what we might typically associate with our indoor experience. Here you'll see a simple table with a cup um, and elements from nature that's easily transportable um, in an outdoor setting. An old stone horse trough, which was on the land that this congregation, um, was on the land when this congregation acquired it, to which they've added um, this metal sculpture with crosses. And in a lot of churches, the worship the altar or the worship center is just a simple blanket on the ground, in this case with rocks and branches and communion wine made from grapes on the property. While church seating looks a little different than um, what we're used to um, inside and also reflects their natural context. Hay bales on the, on the Colorado prairie, picnic tables in the Texas hill country, tree stumps in the woods of New Hampshire, and in a lot of the congregations, lawn chairs that people bring um, to and from worship. And this latter practice happens in wild churches that meet in public spaces, such as public parks or wilderness preserves. Some wild churches have worshiped in Walmart parking lots or urban spaces largely devoid of what we might think of as nature um, to really call attention to how nature is present in all places or how creation and or how creation has been damaged or desecrated. Though wild churches usually meet exclusively outside, most have some provision of shelter in case of heat, rain, or snow. Large open tent shelters serve this purpose for some. A small pole barn and with a wood stove offers warmth in the winter at Church of the Woods in New Hampshire. Others have simple cabins or pavilions in the parks where they worship that provide protection from the elements when needed. For people in wild churches, the land is not just a setting for worship, but is really articulated and seen as a partner in ministry. For example, um, these pictures from New Life Lutheran Church near Austin, Texas is one of several communities that describes their land as a place of sanctuary. The church is located on far, former pasture land that is now almost completely surrounded by a suburban subdivision. Their 12 acres have become a haven for birds, rabbits, and other creatures whose homes are being crowded out by new human development. But the land is also a sanctuary for humans. The congregation has constructed a trail system as well as an outdoor labyrinth with clear welcome to anyone in the surrounding community to come use the property. The pastor has encountered people walking their dogs on the trails, using the guided walk along the outdoor stations of the cross, 
and construction workers who are working on building the neighboring homes, eating their lunch on the picnic tables. The church wants their property to be, a, to be a sanctuary for all their neighbors every day, and not just those who come to worship on a Sunday morning. This church and others also have community gardens which grow food for local food pantries. A church called The Land, United Methodist Church just outside of Denver nourishes their garden with this community compost bin you see in the center. Congregants are asked to bring their compost each week as part of their weekly offering. One thing that's significantly different um, from wild churches and indoor churches is that a primary spiritual practice for most of them is something that they call wandering. At some point during the worship service, usually after a short sermon or what one congregation describes as a note from nature, people are given anywhere from 20 to 40 minutes of individual reflection time on the land. The pastor typically offers a question for pondering. The intent is to deepen each person's relationship with a particular being or beings in nature, to have a conversation with them, to truly listen for what they might have to say, and for the human congregant to offer their own response, sometimes just a simple expression of gratitude. Sometimes people will bring back a leaf or a stone or some other item to place on the altar as a symbol of their reflection. One pastor shared how the first time that she sent um, offered this invitation to people to go talk to a stone or a tree, um, some looked at her like she had two heads. Um, but these same people came back 20 minutes later saying that they needed more time, that that 20 minutes just wasn't enough. Wild church pastors and other participants that I interviewed named these times of wandering and other points of direct engagement with beings in the natural world as key practices that helped them deepen their own spiritual journey. These relationship with the land, as well as with the human members of the worshiping community, also led to a deeper commitment to the repair of the earth in their daily life practices, their financial commitments, and their work for justice. This was more than just what we sometimes hear as nature is my church. The human relationships were significant here as well. Now, perhaps to some of us reared in indoor churches, such practices of wandering and having conversations with beings in nature may seem odd, perhaps even sacrilegious, maybe even bordering on paganism. But these practices have deep roots in the Judeo-Christian tradition. Jesus did a good bit of teaching outdoors and used his surroundings to illustrate illustrate truths about God and our relationship with God. Wild churches therefore are really not engaging in new practices, but offering an invitation to an ancient practice of connecting with God and one another through nature that Jesus practiced. Jesus taught in fields, on mountains, even from a boat in the sea, and called his listeners to look to the other beings in nature as co-teachers. In the Gospels, we hear Jesus' admonition to consider the lilies of the field and learn what they have to teach us about God's provision, to ponder the sacred, the, excuse me, to ponder the mustard seed, which grows into a big plant from something seemingly insignificant. Jesus named seeds, trees, and birds as beings who communicate something to us about God, about who God is calling us to be and how God wants us to live. Alongside Jesus, they are part of God's incarnation, God's presence with us 
in the world. The Psalms that Jesus knew and other Hebrew Bible or Old Testament texts have numerous references to plants and animals praising God, to stars, mountains, and hills that sing, to trees clapping their hands. All is evidence that every being in creation has something to share about what it means to live a life of joy, love, and gratitude on this planet as God's creation. This passage from Joel 12, Job 12, excuse me, is a key example of one of those scriptural passages and one that I heard numerous times as I walked, talked with leaders and participants from wild churches. However, call on the animals to teach you. The birds that sail through the air are not afraid to tell you the truth. Engage the earth in conversation it's happy to share what it knows. Even the fish of the sea are wise enough to explain it to you. In fact, which part of creation isn't aware? Which doesn't know that the eternal's hand has done this? God's hand cradles the life of every creature on the face of the earth. God's breath fills the nostrils of humans everywhere. Like all churches, at the, the heart of wild churches is a commitment to relationship, relationship to God, relationship to other humans, and an intentional relationship with the non-human world, with all beings in nature. A relationship which we open ourselves up to in the conversation that is happening all around us in creation, as named from this passage in Job. Leaders and participants in wild churches describe nature as kin, as sister and brother, as co-congregant worshiping God alongside of them, engaging in conversation with them. For participants in wild churches, when Jesus commands us to love our neighbors as ourselves, he's calling us to love our non-human neighbors as well. Many describe the work of healing the land as part of their call to discipleship. And not coincidentally, many human participants in wild churches experienced their own healing as they deepened their relationship with the earth and took a more active role in fostering its well-being. As Joanna Macy has said, as we work to heal the earth, the earth heals us. What I want to reimagine and be part of as we move through and beyond this pandemic is a Christian faith that calls us to love all of our kin human and non-human, as essential to the mission and identity of their faith, of our faith, because I think it is essential. God has created an interconnected web of life that brings us all into relationship with one another. Tragically, our Western mindset has ta not taught us to see these relationships. Instead, to see ourselves as humans is somehow separate from or above the rest of creation to see land, water, plants, animals as resources to be used and exploited rather than kindred and neighbors that we are to love and care for. Just think for a minute about our language. What we typically refer to non-human creatures as its. What if we started saying she or he or they instead? How might this seemingly small but significant change in our relationship with the other beings and creatures around us change if we just started calling them and naming them as kin and neighbor? 
This process of deepening our relationship to the earth and seeking its healing can be difficult work. As with any love relationship, grief walks alongside joy. Our planet continues to experience species loss, continued degradation of our water and air that disproportionately affects our sisters and brothers of color. And as you know, the list goes on. As Sarah shared last week, we may need to be grieving the loss of a future that's not what we had hoped for. But despite what our culture teaches, grief is not an emotion to be avoided. And while painful is a natural response that emerges out of the loss of something we have loved deeply, and rarely, if ever, would we wish for a life without having experienced that love. We lose much more when we refuse to love. This is at the core of what our Christian faith teaches us, and this is what nurtures our wholeness. It's also at the heart of what the original inhab human inhabitants of our land understood. These words from indigenous scientists and writer, writer Robin Wall Kimmerer share that it is not enough to weep for our lost landscapes. We have to put our hands in the earth to make ourselves whole again. Even a wounded world is feeding us. Even a wounded world holds us giving us moments of wonder and joy. I choose joy over despair, not because I have my head in the sand, but because joy is what the earth gives me daily and I must return the gift. Leaders and participants in wild churches understand this need for mutual relationship with the earth and bear witness to its power. Like them, we too can engage the earth in conversation and listen closely to the wisdom of the plants, the birds, the fish, and other beings. Hear God speaking through them to us as an essential practice in our faith journey. We can do this by getting to know the trees, the birds, and the animals in our own backyards, or even just looking out our windows touching the leaves of our house plants or offering gratitude for our food as we prepare it. In doing so, we will learn much about resilience, adaptability, community, and partnership. Through these practices of love, I believe we can live more fully into the image of who God intended humans to be. We might even help bring about some small miracles in the process, maybe even some big ones. This is my hope and my prayer. Amen.